You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 2013 Hong Kong horror film rigor mortis I like that we're in Hong Kong again we are and this is pretty much concluding our Asian film horror bonanza that we've been doing for the last few episodes thank you for sticking with us for those of you who maybe don't like Asian horror that much what are you doing what's going on with you get on the bus and for those of you who love it already well (laughs) make room on the bus (laughs) for wes who loves asian horror films i do i do and by the way we are still i'm still making this commitment now lids you and me we are not going to wait another 60 episodes or something before we do more asian horror but we are taking a little break after this but this is a good transition film that you decided to pick for us. Into some vampire horror. Mm-hmm. It also kind of dawns on me watching this, not so much with um, Abnormal Beauty, because it ends up firmly within horror, slasher, stalker, killer territory, a place we like very, very much. This is one of those not-really-horror-horror films. There's not a lot of those really relied-upon American filmmaking horror tropes. In this film. It is a horror film, for sure. It has horrific elements. It has spirits. It has vampires. But it's not a horror film like Friday the 13th. No, it's not. If you're going to define it like that to the aliens that land here and say, take me to your horror film. Mm -hmm, You know what I mean? mm -hmm, You're not going to take them to see rigor mortis. That's true. But then we're going to move into vampire film that isn't really vampire film either. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what the fuck am I doing? I'm so sorry, people. (laughs) we're gonna have to cover like a real good splatter film soon soon oh and we got some coming up okay good. we we got some classic horror coming up the way that i like to define classic horror then again the way that i define classic horror kind of encompasses the last hundred years of cinema so maybe you shouldn't really listen to me at all or we should always listen to you because i like listening to you i mean this is the important point of the show is that 100 years of horror film contained within your brain. We need that, Wes. We need it. I also have another interest in this life, in this world, if you can believe it. Actually, I have many. Asian horror films? Yes, I do. One of the things that I love, and if anybody ever was curious about what is my favorite movie monster is based off of folklore, cultural folklore all around the world, it always really goes back to vampires. I love vampires a lot. And... One of the things that I love about vampires, and what I love about a lot of monsters in the world, myths and legends, is that, culturally speaking, as different as we can all seem sometimes, there is things that bind us together. And that is the fucked up things that we think could exist in the shadows that just might kill us. Like Bigfoots. How we have a Bigfoot pretty much everywhere. There's, yes, there's there's Bigfoots everywhere. There is uh, interpretations of 
gnomes and leprechauns and fucking and uh, different types of spirits. Every culture believes in ghosts. Every culture, or at least a vast majority of them, have vampires in them in some way, shape, or form. Things that can be lumped into the category of vampires. From the uh, Sturgoi to the Jiangxi, where we're going to hang out today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all really varied. They have some similarities, usually the blood drinking, usually some sort of immortality, usually some sort of like up at night, sleep all day sort of thing, Mm -hmm. dirt. Usually dirt involved. Dirt, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the case of the Zhangxi, what we have here is an incredibly unique but very iconic vampire. Because once you see them, as if you're interested in, in the macabre, if you're interested in folklore at all, once you see these creatures, uh, they're, how they're represented in film or in book, you say, oh, aha, yeah, I've seen that before. A lot of people have seen the Zhengxi or the hopping vampires before in other medium. Uh, they've been in video games and comic books and uh, film. Not just rigor mortis, but what this film sort of centers around is the Mr. Vampire series. The first one coming out in 1985. Uh, one of the executive producers of that was Sammo Hung, who, if you are a martial art fan at all, definitely know who he is. But he is, of course, one of the students of the famed uh, Chinese opera house that train people like Jackie Chan. That generation of martial arts cinema masters sprung from that school. And there was this blending of humor and martial arts and horror that was not exactly common, but not exactly uncommon, especially coming out of the late 1970s and 1980s in Hong Kong cinema. And the Mr. Vampire series became hugely successful and had a multitude of sequels afterwards. And then it kind of went away, like things. I really want to wanna see this, actually, because I've never, and I don't know shit from Shinola or Chopsucky from Chopsui. And this sounds like right up my alley because I am a big uh, Robo Vampire fan. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen Robo Vampire, you can find it on YouTube. I don't know where else you could look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone else doing some of these older Topsaki films probably puts it out. It has hopping vampires in it as well. It sounds like it comes from that exact same milieu that mm-hmm. you're speaking of with Mr. Vampire. Yeah, absolutely. The the Mr. Vampire series does it is kind of more humorous martial art action film that has vampires in it. I was like goofy. That's how I was going to boil it it down to goofy. No, it's not goofy. Well, it's kind of (laughs) goofy. But I I find it wildly entertaining. And I definitely think that at the very least, I cannot speak for the other four films. I've not seen them. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely speak for Mr. Vampire. It's worth the romp. Like, it's you definitely are not going to walk away from that movie not entertained. That's what it sounds like with uh, Robo Vampire, although Mr. Vampire sounds like it has a lot more production value. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot more, um, there's a lot cleaner transfers available these days because it was a bigger movie. Yeah. So you can get a nice clean uh, version of it. Probably on YouTube, although I never checked, but let's be real. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's probably like the, the best place to at least preview something and see if you're interested before you go ordering it because you could pay quite a bit. When even you're talking about like how goofy that the the hopping vampire can seem, well, it's uh, goofy when it's in uh, <clears throat> Super Mario Land. Okay, <laughs> that's when it's goofy. It's it, it can be treated very goofy to watch uh, Robo Vampire 
against something like rigor mortis. There's a world of difference between those sorts of vampires, though. There really is. When you are initially talking about the bare bones things that need to happen to make sure that you are representing the Zhengxi the way that they are supposed to be represented. That being the 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 rigor mortis of stiffened bodies that don't allow their limbs to bend, so they have to travel by hopping. A lot of times their arms will be outstretched. Um, they will oftentimes be depicted wearing uh, traditional uh, Chinese garb from very long ago. Uh, they'll have sometimes seals on their face. It kind of depends if they're being controlled by somebody or what. But I think that what rigor mortis proves is that you can take something that if you were to take the bare bones elements and just say, here's what it is, and you'd think to yourself, that's kind of silly, but they can make it pretty fucking serious seeming from this perspective, from the way this film interprets them. Yeah, Duno Mac did a very, very good job considering this is his uh, feature length directorial debut. Mm -hmm. And to take something that is so steeped in the film culture, mythological culture, and really make it his own the way that he did. I mean, it takes some filmmakers in North America a lot of stops and starts to break out of that mold that we cast for vampires, the mold that Bram Stoker cast for vampires, that Hammer Horror cast for vampires. When someone wants to do something different, they sometimes come under a lot of fire. Or people get very, very excited, like Blade. The Blade series is something that mm-hmm. 30 Days a Night did an amazing job making a vampire something completely different. Um, the zombies definitely have this exact same problem slash interesting quirk of them is that you can take any small element they're still the same recognizable thing as a zombie but you can make them fast zombies ragers from infection from unknown sources come from the graves come from fresh dead bodies you can play with all of those different elements Mm -hmm. and you can play with all the elements of a hopping vampire as long as they hop Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they have to as long as they have a stiffened kind of mobility of some sort and are either under control, used for some purpose, subject to charms. That's really all you, the only prerequisites you need to fill. Yeah, absolutely. And not only did these creatures give us an opportunity to see some wildly entertaining films, it also gets to show us that how over time these things need to evolve to change with the culture of modern day, the zeitgeist, how zombies back in the day who were if you're talking about like the zombies in uh king of the zombies or white zombie you know like barely mobile ghoulish people wandering around under the control of some kind of witch doctor didn't do it for people anymore so what if we made them eat people and then after a while that kind of becomes passe and what if we made them quick highly aggressive and what if we made that infection spread so fucking fast now? And what if now it, it becomes instead of an isolated incident, uh, an entire town, an entire city, an entire world? We just keep raising the stakes that going along with vampires as well. Mm-hmm. Because vampires can start as scary and then they made them sexy and then they made them scary again and then they go back to 
sex. It seems to be the cycle of like sexy, and, then and you there's can a kind camp- of dip into gross there too, because you get some yeah. revenants and stuff like that. Or mm-hmm. the, while they're not even <clears throat> vampires, the things in the descent are kind of vampiric in yeah, a way. Yeah, they remind you of like a, a revenant of some sort. Um, and they're all revenants, like really, truly. Yeah, yeah. All ghouls of some sort. But um, the hopping vampires have an interesting genesis, I think. And I'm no expert because this is all kind of new to me. I've watched hopping vampire stuff and been aware of hopping vampire stuff, but it's mm-hmm. not something that I've read up very heavily on. Mm-hmm. But only days before, there was an article posted that crossed my desk uh, from the Order of the Good Death. I think it's Caitlin Moran or Caitlin Kiernan. Caitlin Moran is the uh, coroner that runs Order of the Good Death. And she posts a lot of interesting articles, has a YouTube channel and stuff if you're interested in corpse handling, modern day corpse handling. Um, and I'm very interested in modern day corpse handling. Mm-hmm. I'll have you know. <laughs> she posted an article about the hopping corpses of China. And I thought, well, that can't be unrelated. It could have somewhere like this crossed origin of these two things. They used to transport corpses in China. Sort of like the untouchable caste in India would deal with the corpses. There was a group of people that were these corpse-handling priests, and they would transport corpses to their ancestral ground so they could be buried alongside their family, or their family could do whatever they need to do with the corpses. Um, They would transport them. And China's really big. People could travel wherever. People traveled quite often in China before there was, like, railways and things like that. Um, So if they ended up dying in the north and they had to be transported to the south they would uh usually take a walk with the corpse so if it was just one corpse it'd be two people two priests walking with the corpse so that the one person could walk alongside with the corpse just holding it up and they would take breaks and pretty much walk 24 hours apparently if there was a lot of corpses to transport what they would do is tie them up to bamboo posts and one person would be walking with the bamboo posts on their shoulders and someone at the end would have the same thing hoisting the two posts onto their shoulders and in between strapped in amongst between these two posts by their shoulders or armpits I suppose and tied in would be all these corpses and they would go through towns and on their way through towns they would be banging a gong so everyone would know that these corpses were on the way through and they you know traveled 24 hours a day but it would be probably extra eerie at night to be seeing these these bouncing hopping like convoys of corpses walking through with all the pomp and ceremony of having the priests and incense and gongs and all that going on almost like a parade of the dead but it wouldn't give that that idea of this corpse army that's hopping along Pretty creepy shit, I think. And it sounds a lot like the army of hopping vampires in Robo Vampire. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good article. So I do recommend uh, go check out uh, worldwideweb.orderofthegooddeath.com. Yeah, yeah. Hopping dead corpse walker. The corpse walkers of China. <laughs> I do think that they had some sort of like common fount like that. They just must have. Because... Why would these vampires need to hop? Other than, like you're saying, they're they're suffering rigor mortis, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. it seems like a pretty weird mode of transport. Mm-hmm. Um, far more zombie-like, like white zombie zombie-like. Yeah. Because of the fact that China is so vast, so old, and so varied, even with the people uh, within it, there is no... The Zhangxi have a vast array of 
wants, desires, origins, weaknesses. There's a lot of different things that are sort of conflating in and around this. Much like our own Western vampire, thanks to film and literature and whatever, you list, you laundry list, for example, weaknesses that a mm-hmm. vampire has. And it's just the first thought that you think in your mind is like, these things are more vulnerable than humans to everything. Because not only do things that could just kill a human kill a vampire, things that don't kill humans kill vampires. So, I mean, I would argue that the sun kills me, but... Oh, so completely here, but we're okay around rice. And yeah. if you take that, the rice thing into the more like recognizable Western vampires, like recognizable to us... And they're OCD. Vampires are wickedly OCD. So if you throw rice on the floor, they need to pick it all up. You know, that's interesting because I think that I could probably get you by throwing rice on the floor. Oh, probably. Yeah, most definitely. (laughs) One of the cool things about the Zhangxi that I always thought was when we're talking about East meets West, the complete flip of the reflection Mm -hmm. where Western vampires, as we know, don't have a reflection for the most part. That seems to be the common thing. The Zhangxi, on the other hand, do have a reflection and are terrified of it. So you can use mirrors to ward these things off. That's not in this movie. That's just in general. No, but mirrors and, and rice. Yeah. which easy, I which, Easy weaknesses. Yeah, I just thought it was quite interesting. They seem to be terrified of these things, too. It's not like they don't have a re- reflection or the whole can't cross water thing. It's not because they're afraid of water. So they can't cross yeah. it. Um, probably because they can't touch dirt. That's what I'm guessing. Um, and the, the OCD fixation with the rice thing. Jiangxi are just terrified of those things. Yeah, yeah. Their own reflection apparently repulses and terrifies them. So they will run away from you. I'm wondering what they're seeing. Because there's a scene in this where Chin has be possessed by a spirit momentarily and you see his reflection and it is very terrifying and i'm wondering if that's something of like what these jengshi are supposed to be seeing but yeah mirrors don't play too too heavily in this except for that one scene but there is a thing like you're saying you love vampires i do like vampires but if there's anything i like it's some sort of vengeful spirits mm-hmm. i love that especially about asian cinema mm-hmm. and we have that in spades we absolutely do. In in Japan, these things, when we were talking about this as the movie was going, and I do also love Revenge Spirits too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird because maybe now that I think about it, I would probably elevate them higher than vampires to me, even though I love vampires a lot. I love so many of those films. But no, no definitely Revenge Spirits are in, in Japan, they're, uh, yokai are ghosts. Very specifically, when you're talking about malevolent evil spirits, ones that are dangerous to the living, yokai in general could just be an, uh, a, a spirit that is not at rest, that is making its presence known. However, the onryu are what is dangerous to humans. They will kill humans if you come into contact with them. They are absolutely malevolent evil spirits, not unlike yokai. But these very specifically died extremely violent and cruel deaths and have now something weak in life, have manifested themselves as something incredibly powerful and dangerous in death. In China, I would imagine they have the same thing, but I don't really know what you would call them. But these spirits in this film, in Rigor Mortis, 
if this was they are onryu they are they are dangerous to humans mm-hmm. and they do have similar names um a lot of japanese mythology is mm-hmm. borrowed heavily from china yeah yeah for yeah. sure so they do have many other names it's one of the names i saw when looking this up quickly while we were watching the film was mogwai which is um a term that i've heard used elsewhere yeah like i know that from gremlins yeah. that which means devil so it it could easily it could be something like that like maybe mm-hmm. just the west has just like appropriated this word vietnamese culture has many different names too mm-hmm. uh, for many different styles of spirits mm-hmm. so it's something definitely worth researching yeah yeah i know in uh, korea uh, thanks to the stories that i was writing a kishin is no is what these revenge spirits are known as Mm -hmm. there but man are these two ghosts fucking cool i love them and i want to fight them in a video game or just be friends with them and hang out and talk i'll move into that apartment no problem because this has a lot of things going for it not only it's got vampires it's got fucking ghosts it's got twins you love all this shit i do i do (laughs) vampires twins revenge spirits yes Mm -hmm. i'm sold and it's wonderfully put together with a decent score they have a dubstep fight scene. I they mean, do. Who, they do. What more do you need? Yeah. I think also if you're coming in here with an interest in martial arts, you're going to get some. You're going to get some. Not a lot. But I but I think enough to let it be classified as a you know, bit of a martial art movie. There's Everyone knows martial arts, it seems. Or it's at least strange enough, of them. enough, too. It's surreal enough that when the very first big martial arts uh, set piece fight scene happens... It's not till it's over that I was said, oh my, I thought this man was in a gi all this time and he's wearing a fucking house coat and a wife beater and boxer shorts. <laughs> like, wow. It looks like he just got out of bed. You yeah. Know? He doesn't change that outfit through the entire fucking show, though. Nah, he's... That's he, what he wears. He's like, look, man, these are my hang clothes and we're hanging out. So. Even when he's cooking, because this is the cook. Um yeah. That I suppose the restaurant is in the base of the building and they serve us, all the people that live in this building. Uh, he cooks in that outfit too. Yeah, gross, crazy gross. It just like he's like, look, these are my clothes. These are my only pair of clothes that I have. He's a minimalist. What can you say? He carries rice in his pockets. I don't even know if I like this guy. <laughs> he's just got loose rice. It's fucking coat. Well, he has loose rice with a meaning. He does. Yeah. What is this fucking movie even about, anyways, Lydia? It is about hopping vampires and twin revenge spirits, Wes. Oh. Actually, no. It's about an actor who has moved into a new apartment building. Yeah. Um, according to the description of this... but By the way, gang, I might be foggy on some of the details. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen this film. And also, also, I there was definitely a point in this film where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was like, man, this movie's buck wild. It like, has kind of a big cast. It's very visually engaging. It starts out running. It is all these little plot lines are interwoven quite tightly, and it moves very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And one thing I will say, uh, we're not adverse to reading subtitles, and most of our listeners aren't adverse to reading subtitles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, us and most of our listeners might have at least at one time in our lives made a joke about people who don't like reading fucking subtitles. But these subtitles clip along pretty fast. Oh, man, do you need to be on fucking point? Yeah. It, it took me, I would say, a couple of minutes to get in the group. To, to get into yeah. the group. I was like, whoa, 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 what did he just say? I'm like, okay, we're, we're moving on. We got to like really absorb, especially when they're 
some of the more headier dialogue that's happening right away. It's very, very true. I think I was in the mode, uh, not only because I'd watched um, Robo Vampire, I was just in Hopping Vampire's mood. Earlier this morning, I'd watched My Father Die that they covered on the most recent Vine Torture cast. Oh, okay. And it is heavily subtitled with two different types. Like, I was watching it with subtitles, but it involves a deaf character. And a lot of his dialogue is subtitled with my most favorite thing, which is those, um, like, dynamic custom subtitles. I really love movies that need, that necessitate subtitles that use, like, a custom font and stuff like that. And custom fonts for certain words to put emphasis on those words. I really, really enjoyed that. So I was definitely in subtitle mode. And I do definitely recommend My Father Die. If you want to talk about horror podcasts not covering horror films that have horrific elements that definitely fit within the horror fan's mindset mm-hmm. uh, my father dies really cool and the most recent episode of buying torture cast so plug 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 pluggity plug plug <laughs> i'll plug it hard <laughs> i read that about you mm-hmm. but yeah this film is heady like you said it starts out quite melodramatic oh man does it ever you're talking about a dude that is a wandering hero you could call him Literally speaking, yeah, he is recently, uh, his his family has fallen apart. I had thought they had died. The guy was so fucking morose. But no, his <laughs> wife just left him, which is shitty too. I'd be upset if I was married and my wife left me. It warranted some conversation. And there's a lot of things like this in this film that are super subtle. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. And you're definitely going to get lost. Like when Wes says that there was a point in this movie where he's just like, I don't even know what's fucking going on. That was like a four second blip, really. But... We're fine. If you're not really paying attention, though, I could see someone getting lost. The first time I went to watch this, I'd put it on, watched a few minutes, and had to leave the room, was interrupted for some reason, came back, and was just like, I don't even know who you are anymore, rigor mortis. Oh, (laughs) you've changed, man. Yeah. It used to be all about the hopping vampires. Now I'm looking at this weird impressionistic fucking bullshit hallway. No. If uh, I had uh, missed, if I hadn't missed the thwarted suicide scene in the fight, then I would probably still, I would have been in it and I would have continued watching it that day. (laughs) But I was just absolutely lost when they end up in the kitchen. So whatever. What's interesting is that we meet this fellow who's a former actor of the Mr. Vampire series. What? That's right. Uh, This film is a tribute to the Mr. Vampire series. That being said, you don't need to watch the Mr. Vampire series to enjoy it at all. You don't even need to really know that. No, it's true. I've I never don't... watched any Mr. Vampire. No interest in watching Mr. Vampire. I just want to watch Robo Vampire. And if I can say Robo Vampire one more fucking time. Well, the, that's for the creeps out there doing the drinking game, the Dead Air podcast drinking game. Yeah, it's, not, it's if I'm, I'm mentioning Bind Torture Cast and they got to take a drink. Yeah. Um, when I'm saying Robo Vampire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. BTK, 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 BTK. What are you trying to do to these people? Get them nice and sauced for our review. Oh, so they'll enjoy it? <laughs> it's because we're not a podcast that drinks. We don't have any, like, ads. We're not talking about our fucking Casper mattresses and Red Apron. <laughs> it's a Blue Apron. <laughs> blue Apron. Well, there's a store called Red Apron. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Red Apron is the horror one. Yeah. It's where... It's where Bloodstained it... Red Apron. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we're not. We're not just Sharon Tate levels of red going on here. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we're not we're not drinking while we do this. Thing. Yeah, so been, what are you drinking there, Wes? I'm drinking water. Do you know that I was asked recently, like what what we drink while we do the the show, and I just responded, I don't know if I could do the show drunk. I was intoxicated, kind of buzzed one time. We did the show when we used to record Friday nights, and I submit it's the worst one that I've ever done, and I can't even remember what episode it is now. What you were that drunk, huh? No, I wasn't that drunk. It Tipsy was just. Or... I will tell you exactly what episode. I hate, uh, even though I love the film that we covered, and I, I kind of like our discussion that I've revisited it, is the Maniac episode. I remember you telling me I'd that. I'd come back, I think, from seeing Wednesday 13 or Patron St. of Plague's play, and I'd been drinking. This was uh, pre-Vertigo Lydia that drank. Yeah. And I, I hate that episode. I hate how I felt during that episode. I don't know. I don't understand the people that drink and record. I really don't. You know, water is what you need. But I have the same sort of feeling when I see a band on stage and they're drinking beer and, and drinks on stage. I instantly lose respect for them. I have a lot more respect for bands that drink fucking water. Drink fucking water, people. <laughs> BTK, BTK, BTK. What are you trying to do? <laughs> I, what if our listeners don't drink while they listen? Well, then that part wasn't for them. But this part is. When Chin gets into this apartment, uh, he meets the landlord there. It's also a security guy. And Gramps. Gramps, I yeah, forget yeah. what it, they actually call him, but he Yin. says they call him Gramps. Yin, I think is Yin, his name. Yeah. yeah. And he basically does like a little ritual, cleansing ritual, just welcoming uh, them into this new his new uh, domicile. And he said that this will be necessary later. What we don't know is that this room... Room 2442? Yeah, 2442. How do you like that fucking memory, kids? It's pretty good. He didn't even write it down. I don't think he wrote anything down. I didn't write anything down, no. Good job. Thank you. What we don't know yet, but what the people of this building know, is that this room in itself is the site of a very horrible tragedy. And it's about to be the site of another one. Because Chin basically seems to have gotten this apartment... For some reason, as a place to kill himself. Maybe when he got the place, he thought to himself, well, I'm not going to kill myself here. And then 15 seconds later, he's he just kind of looks around and says, nah, yeah, I'm going to kill myself here. He's got a big noose and everything. He goes to kill himself. And as he's struggling, strangling, he is entering into a brave new world. The acid trip version. <laughs> That's right. Of, of world. Now, initially in this scene, what this could be interpreted as is a person who is going to kill themselves and is in the process of dying is now in the process of being closer to the other world as ever before and find that connection with the spirits that are in this room already. And they attempt to enter him to do god knows what i like that when gramps is cleansing the room one of his the the prayer he repeats most often is just don't do anything crazy <laughs> like he's asking he's bargaining with these spirits that he knows are in there mm -hmm. and just don't do anything crazy don't do anything mm -hmm. crazy i guess he hadn't betted on having the patron the person that's now living there do something fucking crazy to be that thinly veiled at that moment of death to allow these spirits into him right before that we do have that whole life flashing before my eyes sort of moment too when he first begins to choke out um he'd been listening to a phone recording of his son i guess his son had called him when he was quite young 
and left a voicemail and it's just a whole bunch of like, when are you coming back, daddy kind of stuff. And mm. you hear his wife's voice at the end saying, who are you talking to? So it's established that they're estranged. God knows for how long. It's an old model phone. So I have no idea. Um, but he's pretty sad. And this is the reason why he's hanging himself. All of that is almost entirely forgotten from the bulk of the movie, because right here it turns into a fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> pretty crazy in like a fucking gazelle out of nowhere just floating through the air with a scythe a little little hand sickle in his hand yeah cuts the rope and is now in combat with Jin. Jin is possessed by these spirits because i think like someone being choked out and hanging he's uh, he's awfully invigorated and jumps up to fight but yeah he is possessed mm-hmm. and so we get a a, a, a quick fight scene which is quite well done, I mm-hmm. thought. And it, it, it's one of those things that it's filmed quite well. You get to see what the actors are doing. And this whole time, what this character known as the cook does is he basically does like a bunch of fucking like Buddhist seals and just tries to expel the demon from this guy's body, which he does. And and we get to see a pretty, pretty fucking freaky spirit pretty fucking freaky i like the look of these it's almost like kayako from juan yeah except she's got all these black tendrils almost like smoke or hair or like something else entirely like seaweed almost that Mm -hmm. that grow out of her body like her aura Mm-hmm. It's like a horrible, horrible aura. Yeah, well, it's like a black aura with a, a red silhouette around each tendril. Looks f- evil as fuck. Yeah, it does look evil as fuck. And I like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that they don't hate each other either. Because later on, the cook cooks food for him and everything. So they, mm-hmm. they don't, you know, have any ill will over this whole... You thwarted my suicide and then beat the fuck out of me. But you expelled some ghosts from me. So I guess we're all square. Yeah, absolutely. And for all we know, if the if the spirits had possessed him fully, he would have not... He would have, A, not have died mm-hmm. like he wanted to. And B, went on to do who knows what. Yeah. Who knows what these spirits even want. And they're really ornery, extremely angry, very dangerous. So he could have just fucking wrecked up the whole place really badly. Mm-hmm. So it's good that the cook burst in like he did when he did. Yeah, absolutely. This is where we find out that, you know, no one's really lived in this room for a very long time. There's good reason for that. Because this is the site of a pretty heinous act. Extremely heinous act. Um a family used to live there, a man and his wife and his kid. And the man was a tutor, and he tutored these two young twin girls. And all of a sudden, one day, I guess he decided to rape one of them. Mm-hmm. They don't really give any any reason why, or if he'd been coveting them for a long time, or if one of them stole from him, or whatever reason that he would have snapped like this. But he did snap, and it was an extremely brutal rape. He uh, pins one of the girls to the table by stabbing through her hand with a kitchen knife. And then rapes her from behind. Her sister comes up behind them and slaughters that man mm-hmm. by stabbing him over and over and over again. It's big scissors. With huge scissors. Slip mouth woman type scissors. Oh, yeah. She stabs him so hard that she stabs straight through him and into her own chest. 
That's crazy. That is fucking crazy. But, you know, crazy times call for crazy measures, I suppose. Yeah. She had snapped. Quite clearly snapped. Mm-hmm. And it killed her. And her sister, not only reeling with having been raped so violently by her teacher the way that she had just been, had just seen her own sister die, hung herself in the same spot that Chin had just tried to hang himself. Mm-hmm. So that's what had gone on last in this room. No wonder there's some spirits hanging around. And it's pretty crazy because if you were to th- if you were to des- describe this plot so far, that could be the whole movie. Oh that, yeah, that, that could have that like, could just as you would say pulled the taffy. Yeah, yeah, pulled the taffy on that story for ninety minutes. Easily pulled the taffy on that story for ninety minutes. And then even the discovery of the, the 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 wife of that slaughtered teacher is still in the building. Mm-hmm. Just a nice more spice to that. But instead, that's just our intro. Yeah. Yeah. But wait, there's <laughs> more. It's probably like the first ten minutes of the film, I suppose. Yeah, it's 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 really it can't be more than twenty minutes in. Well, then like you would max. think that it slows right down because then he goes down to have a bowl of glutinous rice in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and. He meets the cook again, and we get a little more backstory of the cook. He meets Aunt Mai, who lives in the building as well and eats at this restaurant. They make 28 bowls of glutinous rice a day, mm-hmm. right? No more, no less. His second cook reminds him that we don't need to make that much rice because Aunt Lei died a month ago. And he says she still needs to eat. So they still make 28 <laughs> bowls of rice a day. Um, so now there's this newcomer. I guess they're making 29 bowls of rice. Whatever. All this stuff could be not interesting to people. It is wildly interesting to me. It's free food. Well, yeah, that too. Why do they just get free food? That's crazy. Well, their kitchen, they got all kinds of extra food, I guess, if it just keeps the fires hot. I don't know. Maybe that's what they consider as their due for having the kitchen there. Mm. They feed everyone in the building. Maybe. I wouldn't want to live over top of a restaurant. I'd be down with that. It kind of depends what kind of restaurant. I would not be able to handle that horrible food stink. What? gross and mice Ooh. and just the people in and out and the sounds of kitchen it's mostly the stink and the heat that i wouldn't be able to handle mm-hmm. stink even if, if and i probably wouldn't want their free food thank you very much but apparently it's the best glutinous rights in the whole city mm-hmm. yeah that's what chin tells us anyway or what chin tells the cook because they get talking after he's talked to aunt mai who is a seamstress even though she's not really a seamstress she just has nothing better to do because she's retired her and Tung are an elderly couple that live in the building, mm-hmm. and they're retired. So she has nothing better to do but help mend people's clothes. Yeah. Tung's kind of an old prick, don't you think? I kind of liked him. <laughs> it's cute, though, that she's taking in clothes for other people, and he has to stand there as her uh, dressmaking mannequin, her dressmaking mold. So she's pinning constantly and telling him, like, you tell me if I prick you, okay? And he's just sitting there being a prick, like you say, and just making fun of the other people in the building. Yeah, talking about how fat this woman is and talking about how it's a conspiracy that they keep feeding them free food at massive portions so they all get fat. I think it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's sort of like a Rodney Dangerfield yeah archie archie bunker type character yeah very much so very much so lovable loudmouth sure he's no spring chicken himself either no exactly yeah (laughs) he's about to have a fucking bad day because this motherfucker 
is going downstairs for whatever reason, tossing the trash or something. Yeah, taking out the garbage like a good retired husband, I guess. Yeah, and uh, well, he starts to hear the ethereal laughter of children. And one of these things that horror movies has taught me is when you hear that, you do not follow it. Ghost kids, normal kids just don't follow the children's laughter. Yeah. There's yeah. no point. They but have he, moms. But he does. And goes ass over tea kettle down some fucking stairs. Oops. Yeah. Breaks his neck quite horribly. Wow, does he fucking break his neck. Mm-hmm. We almost get the CSI zoom in when <laughs> he breaks his neck, too. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. good filmmaking in this, too. Um, yeah. Aside from the, the interesting morose suicide scene the nice fight scene the kitchen scene and this it's all like a very similar color palette really but it seems to be through the use of lighting to be made darker brighter here and there depending on what the tone is so he's handled that really masterfully i think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah tongue dies he does or does he dun 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 I know, right? So the next thing that we know is that Auntie Mai, she... She's bathing his feet. She has sort of like a dream or something, Yeah, this weird... Where she's bathing his feet and she's commenting about how cold he seems. And he says he's going to be right back. He's... Just wait for me. I'll Mm -hmm. be right back. And she knows that he has died. She Mm -hmm. wakes up from this knowing something's wrong. And the next time we see her, she is hanging out with this fucking black-cladded cat named Gao. Gal's got a nasty fucking cough, nastier cigarette smoking habit, and a pension for the black arts. I don't know exactly what he's smoking, but it's not just tobacco. Well, we'll de- oh no, we'll, we'll definitely get an idea of what he's smoking later on in this movie. And that's one thing that I want to make very clear. This film jumps all over the fucking place and there's a lot of cast of characters. But I would say that when I had voiced my frustration with the fact that I was confused, I think I spoke a little too soon because the movie is going to take a, a towards the end. It's going to dial back and it's going to explain a couple of major plot points. Yeah, it irons itself out. It really does in the way that these um, people all intertwine. Mm-hmm. It's not like one of those stupid movies like Crash, not the Cronenberg Crash, but either Crash. Where it's like all these totally removed stories that all have these this one single thing that ties them together. It's not as paint by numbers as that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really, really artfully intertwined the way. Even the way these people meet if they didn't meet before. Or the way, the things that they know about one another mm. that you find out later on. It's very interesting stuff. Now, I don't know if... The giggling child. I got confused here if it was a spirit or if it was Pack. Because there is a kid running around the halls giggling that would giggle. There is. I think that this one is a spirit. I do too. I, I think that it's very specific. Pack is a very has a very unique look about him. He's got pale blonde hair, white hair, honestly. And he seems to be a partial albino. Yeah. But this other child is filmed... Not too differently than the way Toshio is filmed in Juan. It's, yeah. he, he is deathly pale, and we're talking white as a sheet. And we only see feet, hands, the back. We don't see the kid fully, mm-hmm. except for a couple of weird scenes later where you see uh, a 
fucked up, disfigured Which face. looks like it has no mouth, mm-hmm. which makes the giggling even more interesting. Mm-hmm. But it does serve to visibly confuse us because Pack is running around the building. Yeah. And Pack just seems to be like this little scallywag that <laughs> hangs out in random people's rooms when he can. What a weird kid. It seems that the building has sort of tacitly adopted this kid. Mm-hmm. It seems that other people just, he doesn't, they feed him. He seems to live nowhere and everywhere, like just in the hallways. Like when a bookstore has a cat. That's <laughs> what it feels like when a bookstore has a cat. Yeah, There's a laundromat exactly. down the way that has a cat. Too. Yeah, and you're like, whose cat is this? Mm. And it's like, I don't know. No one's really the laundromats. Yeah. <laughs> the bookstore had a cat. Two bookstores I've been in in Ottawa had cats. Do you know that the, your neighborhood's getting a cat cafe? Oh, are we? Yeah. Really? I don't know what I think of that. I'll go, but I've, I'll see if I even like it. I might not like it. It's a bunch of cats. I hope that they like, corral all the cats and vacuum everything and lint brush everything every couple of hours. Yeah, I feel like I have a bit of a cat allergy, so I don't know if I could go in that building. No, exactly. Interesting. Interesting. I'm going to have to check this out. Mm-hmm. I know people that would enjoy a cat cafe. And who knows? I don't know. I have a cat. There's a cat in the house. Not my cat, but it's a cat. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a cat cafe in here. <laughs> it is, kind of. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, he's not allowed to make noises when we record the show. No, exactly. He's put under lock and key like a good cat. <laughs> so Pac is basically a cat. And he hangs out with... Uh, I guess it's the former wife of the murder place. Yeah. Fang. Mm-hmm. Fang is cool. I like Fang a lot. As much as I dislike Pac, just because he's an annoying brat. Uh, that he goes into other people's houses, too, which I hate. Um, Fang's really cool. Fang makes me sad in a lot of ways. She can't bear to go into her old apartment, which happens to be 2442. But when she looks in it, I don't know if it's her ethereal ability to see ghosts or if it's just those horrible memories. She can envision everything that had happened in that building mm-hmm. and seems to see the ghosts of the twins. Uh, very cool lady, but she scra- scrounges food, like with the free food. If you don't come down to eat it, they bring it up and leave it outside your door. Which seems like the coolest apartment building for students or something. That'd be awesome. It's really hard to fucking put a beat on this thing. It is almost like a cleaner version of the apartment building in the Condemned film, exactly. where it just it reminds seems, me a lot of Condemned. It's it, uh, it's almost like these people are fucking squatting, but they live there. But I, it's the it's the fact that like it's such a close knit building, and everyone is sort of all over the place. And what's weird to me is that it's huge. It's probably like twenty eight stories in massive. It's a massive building, and there's like maybe. 20 occupants yeah yeah Yeah, it's very strange 28 i guess if you're counting by bowls of rice Mm -hmm. but or 29 if you count the dead ant they still make rice for but i swear the only way i can wrap my head around it is that it is their penance for having a stinky gross restaurant in the building maybe that's the only way i can explain it to myself but whatever maybe this is normal i don't know i'll have to like find some chinese apartment dwellers and ask them Point blank, if they get bowls of glutinous rice left outside their their doors three times a day. Yeah, if you're like, listen, let's get down to brass tacks here. Tell me your rice situation in your buildings. <laughs> and then watch them look at me like I'm fucking nuts and be like, I buy rice and cook it in my house like a normal person. Leave me alone, crazy lady. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Speaking crazy lady, Fang's crazy. Uh, she is homeless. 
because she used to live in that apartment and doesn't anymore, but she still is in the building. And her and her son just sort of roam the halls, scrounging people's food and apologizing when they get caught and just kind of scurrying away. Mm -hmm. She's really sweet, though. Mm -hmm. Spends a lot of time clinging to uh, guardrails, Mm -hmm. that type of shit. Mm -hmm. Post-traumatic stress disorder, when you have no medical help whatsoever and no one really helping you through this and no desire to go seeking help. You're just going to hang out in the old building. Throughout all of this, our main character, Chin, seems to have found the will to live. He doesn't seem to be particularly happy anymore, but he, at the very least, seems to be not interested in killing himself just yet. At least thankful that he was saved. Mm-hmm. He has a conversation with the cook while the cook describes glutinous rice and its function, at least in the old days, that vampire hunters... Any vampire hunter was never without glutinous rice on their person because of the effect that it has on the Zheng Shi, the hopping vampires. His father was a vampire hunter. That's correct. And also the interesting thing that we find out, not in this conversation, but another conversation that feels right to just mention it now, is the fact that the cook's father left him in this building. He was never truly intended to live here it was one of those instances that apparently happened quite often where he would leave him in the care of somebody go off and do whatever he needed to do and then return one day he never returned and this was the last place that he was left and so now the cook has lived here for decades he seems to have quite the working knowledge of spirits and vampires Well, he's got all of his father's stuff, and he's probably spent a lot of time lamenting the fact that his father had abandoned him, or all of the other times that his dad would take off for a couple days. He probably spent a lot of time studying stuff that his father did, just because he was absent so much, and what this monk would have been doing as a vampire hunter. Now that there's no vampires to hunt, all the vampire hunters have become cooks, Mm -hmm. I guess, because they knew so much about rice. (laughs) That makes sense to me. But he's got all of his father's stuff, all of his charms, sigils, uh, like walls of fucking stuff. It seems to be the 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 main piece seems to be this iron wheel that has the elements on it: earth, fire, metal, wood, yeah, yeah. and likely a whole zodiac and a calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reminds me of uh, the Aztec wheel of days. That's what it looks a lot like. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Some sort of seal. Some sort of calculator. While this is going on, we are also continually going back to Gao and Auntie Mai. Gao and Mai have become thick as thieves because she has come back into possession of the body of her husband. Mm -hmm. Tongue is doing pretty good for a corpse because she's doing what she can to bring him back. Gao seems to know a lot about necromancy and has her bury him in dirt in the bathtub until they can figure out what to do with him. And she has has her sprinkling things on the corpse to keep the smell down and doing charms, doing rituals, feeding him the blood of a crow every single night. I'm not exactly sure what that would do, but it's not the blood of a chicken. I guess it's a bird of day, bird of night thing. I don't know. But... He has her doing a lot of exercises and rituals to to preserve this corpse 
And all because he's promised that he will come back in seven days. His corpse will revive. So far, so good. Every night at 11 o'clock, he opens his eyes. But that's about all she can get out of her corpse husband. Yeah, he's wearing a mask of uh, charms. Coins, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool little half mask. Almost like something that... um, some sort of belly dancer would wear. Yeah, almost. Yeah. And he's wearing some traditional robes. And he's got a very dirty gray pallor to him. One of his eyes is swollen completely shut. Uh, we can see vestiges of the old him in there in his physical appearance. But for the most part, what we're looking at is alien compared to what he looked like before. Yeah, now he's a gray old corpse with this outfit on. Yeah, his yeah. wife is extremely distraught and it is speaking to that idea of the length someone might go to if their partner were to suddenly die Gao has also exclaimed to her that seven days it might work if it doesn't there is another option that is a far more extreme version of what they're currently trying to do but let's wait for seven days and she does ask, like, what is it? And he says, come to me then. I'll tell you about it then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's sewing crooked. She's off her feet. She's talking to the corpse. She's trying really hard to get it to revive, doing everything that she's told to do. Her health seems to be deteriorating quite a bit. Seems to, like, almost be aging by the day. Yeah. Like, she just seems to, the stress, the strain, you know. Misses her husband very, very much. So yeah. she's going through this morning at the same time under the stress of having a corpse secreted into her apartment. Because mm-hmm. some people sort of seem to start to get hints of what's going on. The cook notices that she's sewing crooked. And also that he hasn't seen tongue. If people ask about him, she keeps saying that he's not feeling well. Yeah. At one point, she's charged with babysitting Pack for a minute. And when he's dropped off, he's told, like, oh, don't bother Uncle Tongue. And she sort of smiles. And Pack like, goes around the apartment. And you're wondering how long can she keep this ruse up? Everyone seems to know he's not around. She's not lying outright and saying, oh, he went to visit my sister for a month. Which is probably what anyone could have, should have done in that mm-hmm. situation if mm-hmm. they're going to lie. But she keeps saying that he's just sick or not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone's getting wise to this. Especially since it's such a tight-knit community. You know when people get really, really wise to this? Why is that? Is when Gramps finds a gold tooth on the riser, on the landing. That's true. That's true. Hard to... He knows. He knows, like, Gramps, old Yin, knows everybody in this building. He knows when people take their garbage out. He knows... Their backstories, he knows everything about them. He has lived in this building for absolutely years. He knows there's something up. When he finds this tooth, he just puts it in his pocket. Because he's not going to race around, make waves, and start questioning people. Mm-hmm. He's going to kind of see how this plays out a little longer. So we've got an idea that somebody knows that something's not quite right. As far as tongue is concerned. Mm-hmm. Because there's other things to be interested in. Like those nasty revenge spirits in apartment <laughs> 2442. Gao, in one instance, bursts, breaks into Chin's apartment while Chin is there and seems to be attempting to snap a seal on top of Chin's forehead. This excites the spirits within the room who 
I don't know what triggers them necessarily. They're there, and I suppose they can stay relatively quiet. But this in, this action makes them just absolutely go fucking apeshit. And then, of course, Chin becomes possessed fucking yet again. <laughs> the cook, sensing something is wrong, bursts in there. And now it's the two of them in there trying to fight this thing off. Which is a very cool fight scene. I really like this fight scene quite a bit. And both of the spirits, once they're excised from Chin, each one of these respective masters of the arts, these dark arts, like, you know, Gao is definitely on the dark end of the spectrum. The cook seems to be of the light end of the spectrum. Both of them have the tools to combat these ghosts. And they do in a very unique way. And then I love the scene where they're where they have the two spirits back to back and they're basically tying them up with thread and tossing the thread to each other so they could like fucking... Yeah, because they'd figured out that the string that tethers their wooden swords to their belt, uh, if they douse it with blood, Mm -hmm. it seems to contain them work as well as any charm because Mm -hmm. it's it's monk's blood. I mean, Mm -hmm. monk's blood. I mean, Jesus, I don't even eat monk's blood. I know, man. I mean, monk's blood would freak me, right? You put paint monk's blood on my door, I'm not leaving for a week. Yeah. Yep. So they figured out that if they put their own blood on this, these strings, and yeah, tossing it around is a very, very, very cool scene. I like the way that they're tethering and binding these two really active spirits. And we get to see them kind of in their full glory at this point, too. Mm-hmm. Twisting around and skulking around. They can crawl on the walls and ceilings. And... How did you like that? I know you don't like the uh, abnormal movements of ghosts and Asian horror, you mentioned it on a previous show. But yeah. These girls have it but, down pat. So this, to me, was less eerie. Because they're not so fully corporeal? Yeah, and but it was more action-y. It was more like a video game. And yeah. I think it's because they have the the tendrils around them, which I think is a cool effect. Mm-hmm. But it definitely... like that That instance where you were talking about them when we were watching that you wanted to fight them in a video game i was like yeah yeah like these seem like like video game boss characters like that you would have to fucking fight yeah so like i wasn't scared or creeped out by them because it just seemed more punchy and actiony to me than straight up uh unnerving but i liked it quite a bit and it was really fucking cool i like that they have this very brightly lit and that could lend itself to it not really creeping you out because that is one of those buttons that they could easily push with these girls. Maybe make the room a lot darker, make them coming at you down the hallway and make them a little more uh, human looking and it might have had that creep factor. But it is so brightly lit and such a really cool action scene Mm -hmm. with these beings that move so fast, almost dog-like. There's Mm -hmm. another scene later on in the film where they're racing down the hallway and very much like greyhounds like mm-hmm. like hounds of the tendalus they're great yeah. just love hounds of tendalus so very much all these girls need are wings um and to come out of the corners but they are like feral animals mm-hmm. after your skull yeah like, yeah extremely aggressive extremely malevolent um feral almost and and it really speaks to this idea of less of a person and more of a manifestation of that tragedy like the anger and the rage and, and just hatred that. and lack of trust because it was their teacher that they would have trusted like mm-hmm. the world 
that did this horrible thing to them. So, yeah, I could see them just hating everybody and wanting all in their skulls. So they wrap them up with this string that's embedded with monk's blood and throw them into this, like, cabinet. And once they're wrapped up with this red string, they're flung quite unceremoniously right into this wardrobe, right through the door because they're spirits and they don't need to open the doors for nobody. Uh, And they're flung into this wardrobe and then wrapped up quite quickly with this red string and then a sigil is pasted to the front door. So they're effectively trapped, Ghostbuster style, inside this giant wardrobe in the corner. Very, very cool. Threaded up, sealed up, doused in blood. Mm -hmm. That'll keep it safe. Yeah. Forever and ever, amen. So we're done with the twins. Good. Yeah, yeah, it looks like everything's wrapping up pretty easily. Uh, got the ghosts contained. Uh, uh, that's pretty much it. All we need is someone to discover that corpse of Maya's husband, and uh, then we're all good to go. Well, what do you think Gal was doing in there? What was his end game? Hey, yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought people just bust into apartment 2442 and have big fights and leave. I think that's maybe he just needed to have a fight. I and I think that what the cook probably ascertained was these spirits tried to enter Chin. They've tried to do it before, mm-hmm. apropos of nothing. So I bet he just thought that Gao was just happened to be in there maybe by happenstance or walking by and burst in when he heard there was trouble. Well... He does at least know that Gao had a seal on him, but maybe he doesn't really fully understand what he was trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. But Yin is on the case. Gramps. He's got some... It's time. He's got some fucking questions. Yeah, because Gramps knows the tooth. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he does know the tooth. I wrote that down in my notes. Oh, God. I had to. As soon as he put that thing on the table, I was like, he knows the tooth and he wants the tooth. Nothing but the tooth. Mm. He might not like the answer, though, because when he goes to Gao and he knows that uh, and he's he's even mentioned that I've known you since you were a kid Mm -hmm. and you're still fucking around with that black magic shit. Oh, 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 my. Oh, my. If you had written notes, I was going to say, had you written, oh, my. And you know, <laughs> no, but you don't write notes, so that's not true. I've written some recently, but anyway, I didn't have my notebook with me. It was a, it was a, it was a hairy day. Anyways, the point being is my auntie, my herself, bludgeons the fuck out of this guy. This kindly old man was killed by this kindly old lady. That is what love does to people, Wes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. If movies and TV have taught me anything, it's definitely worth killing over. Yeah. Even kindly old gentlemen that you could have probably shooed away with a fib or two or yeah. something. I don't know what. But yeah, she pounces on him like fucking tiger and smashes his head to a bloody pulp. It's one of the bloodier scenes that we get to see in this. And there's quite a few scenes when these scenes do get bloody. When things get bloody in this film... They tend to end up with blood on the camera lens. And I love that. It happens several times. The only time it doesn't really happen when I wish it did is way in the beginning when Chin is possessed and just after the spirits are ripped from his body and he pukes up black blood, a lot, a geyser of black blood all over the floor over and over again. It's great. And we don't, it's kind of an overhead shot for that, Mm -hmm. which works really well. But like almost every other scene of brutality that blood is involved, it ends up on the camera lens, which is, is lovely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So we get some camera lens blood in this scene. But yeah, she really goes to town. 
she kills him pretty fucking dead. Oh, yeah. He even twitches a little bit, and she's like, oh, no. Gung, gung, gung. Sad. Real sad, but like you said, love will make you do it. Or at least her love will. Just to get this guy back in any way, shape, or form. Because she, at this point, is deluding herself. She is talking to this guy as if he's a normal guy. As if he's not fucking a corpse. If he's an, and and just trying to... Well, it is wishful thinking. Hasn't it been seven days? He's going to like pop up any time. He opens his eyes at 11 o'clock at night for a little bit. So... She might as well, like, you know, you don't talk to people in comas like they're in comas. You don't talk to people that are on their deathbed like they're dying. You just talk to them like normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's maybe what she's doing. Has it not been seven days at this point? It's definitely pretty fucking close. But it hasn't worked. Or at least not in the way that they want. But shit's going to go down anyways. Because uh, maybe a little happy accident. A little happy little circumstance. The cook... Uh, Needs uh, Auntie May to uh, watch watch the little rugrat pack. Oh, by the way, we should probably mention that at this point, Chin seems to have really embraced living in that building. He has tr- he has embraced Pack as his surrogate boy, perhaps. And invited Fang and him in for a meal at one point, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a duality that might be somewhat dangerous. Him, in a way, perhaps replacing his lost ex-wife and son with Pack and Fang to a certain extent. Because there are these scenes, not dream sequences, just sort of, he just daydreams the scene at the beginning of him and his wife and his son sitting at the table one morning over breakfast or something. And they're all holding hands, so the three of them have their hands on the table. And then on the white tablecloth, they just start to bleed out from their wrists. Mm-hmm. And it's a really beautiful scene, and I had taken it that that's where he wishes the day and world had stopped. His son even says, can we just be like this happy forever? And he says, yes, of course we can. And in his mind, now that everything's gone to shit and he's lost them forever, however he lost them, he has, and become estranged, if only they could have all just bled out and died right there, everything would be perfect. So now you see... Years later, he's sitting in this apartment that he almost committed suicide in with this homeless woman and her weird albino son that had suffered a horrible tragedy in that same apartment that was the cause of the spirits that are possessing him. So he's sitting there with them at this kitchen table in about the same sort of arrangement. There's a lot of threes in this film. There's the uh, arrangement of Chin and his ex and his son on the white table in the white kitchen then you have this sort of dowdy room very gray room with these dowdy gray people of him and fang and pack sitting in threes at the table three people died in that room the teacher and the twins just these like groups of three that are really interesting to me and if numerologically you add up two four four two that's what you end up with is three so it's just a cute little thing that probably isn't there that i'm seeing But yeah, it is sort of, it's sweet that he has embraced living there. And there is something that the cook says at one point about having lived there for decades. And he figures he'll die there. And he figures everyone dies there and all the spirits are still there. So he might as well get to know the people as well as the spirits. Mm -hmm. Because he'll end up there too. Openly acknowledging that this place is haunted as fuck. Yeah, quite. Very much haunted as fuck. So that could be part of why Chin is like, you know what, I might as well just settle on in. 
It's the closest yeah. thing I'm going to get to any sort of family, and I'll probably die here because I almost did. Mm-hmm. 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 Very interesting. And this is where this movie really does come together, and it is very rich and quite touching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on many levels. Especially when we get to this, the last scene with Auntie May. Well, not really with her, but well, Pac's last scene where he just packs. Pac's definitely packs. It's packs. He's going to pack it in. He's Go home. pack it in. Yeah. Go home. He's done. She's done shooting for the day. I know that if you were to write anything down, you'd have written that down because you were so proud of yourself. I was. Holy fuck. You're going to look after this kid. And Auntie May just is doing what she can to sort of. She knows that the thing that was Tongue is in the bathroom. And oh shit, the boy's got to take a leak. He's got to use the bathroom. So. Why not just pee in the sink? Yeah. He peed in the sink before. He did. He's a sink peeing kind of kid. Just tell him to pee in the sink. Oh, no, no. Wait. Dial it back a second. Gal had mentioned something about virgin blood, hadn't he? Uh, he absolutely did. Yeah. It was one of the things that they might need. Crow's blood is no longer sufficient. Or is not sufficient. Virgin's blood is a hell of a lot more potent. Well, it's total gateway drug. Yeah, that damn crow's blood. Go from yeah. chicken blood to crow's blood and then what? You're killing kids. And next thing you know, you're fucking spending six large on monk's blood. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least the monk's blood froze pretty freely in this building. Yeah, you it's got true. like dark and light monks to choose from. It's true. It's like a virtual buffet of blood in this building. Well, Pax in the bathroom, he's probably a virgin. I fucking hope so. Me too. He's and like eight. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. Maybe he's smooth with the ladies. Oh god. Eight year old ladies? It doesn't have to be gross. There's no other children in this building, so the dead ones. Oh yeah. Well, Pat gets fucking brutally eaten. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> and this is where we get some really awesome vampire footage. We get some awesome rise from the grave stuff, sort mm-hmm. of. It's rise all from shadowed. the tub. Rise from the tub, the dirt tub. Yeah. Um just when he's moving around in the background too, it's like, okay, this guy's a force to be reckoned with. He's one tough fucking vampire too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy him very much. When the cook kind of realizes, oh shit, something's up. He fucking goes to Auntie May's room. The place has been fucking trashed. He instantly gets pulled down and Gao's there. Auntie May's not though. Gao has been fucking gouged. Quite. This is a great movie for you. It's a great movie. It's full of puns. It's a funny little movie. <laughs> the more puns you know, the more puns you see. He's on death door. He explains exactly what happened to the cook. He says that he f- he has been smoking the bones of children, for starters. That's what he's smoking. Yeah. And that's why there's fucking undead ghost children all in the fucking building. That's what the giggly little bastards were. Mm-hmm. Tong fell down the steps, but maybe wasn't precisely dead. No, but him falling down the steps was all a ruse because Guy was like, cool, we'll get a giggly child, he'll fall down the steps, I'll have a body. Awesome. Because that's what I wanted, a body. The whole goal was to get Tong's body. Mm-hmm. Except that fall didn't exactly kill him. It broke his neck pretty good. Mm-hmm. But it didn't kill him entirely. Yeah. Had to toss him down the fucking 
rest of the stairs all the way to the, gr- the ground where tongue fucking explodes like a goddamn hefty bag full of meat. That's why he looks so horrible by the time we see him as a corpse. Yeah. Fang had, because this took a lot longer. If he would have just fallen down the stairs and lost his tooth and cracked his neck and died, no one would have been the wiser. Fang seemed quite a bit of this happened mm-hmm. unfortunately seemed to know more than she would have ever let on because she doesn't want to make waves she just wants to live in the building for free in the electrical room with her son and steal food and everyone leave her alone yeah absolutely and that's what started this plot to resurrect now Gao, did he want the new body because he has lung cancer no he wanted the body to put the twin spirits in okay I he gotcha. wanted a powerful servant in this hopping vampire so the best way to contain those amazingly powerful spirits that were in room 2442 was to have a very large and capable cadaver Mm -hmm. that he could transform into a vampire and have this super strong ghost spirit powering it Mm. well it didn't quite work out in his favor because he got his throat fucking slashed (laughs) and it's cool because we uh, almost without any notice from the, when the cook is pulled down, we see just a hint of this hopping vampire take one step, one hop, and then leave again. Almost like it's the fucking T-Rex in Jurassic Park just to denote this thing's power. But also it didn't really observe them while Gao explains all this fucking shit. And so the cook knows that it is on like a Donkey Kong. And now things have gotten even more complicated because... Fang looking for Pack, ringing bells and shit like that, thinks that the wardrobe, the cabinet that contains the twins, has Pack inside of it. Yeah, she rings a little bell and yells for Pack, and the cabinet moves. So she thinks her boy's in there, and so she breaks the seal and opens the cabinet, and holy fuck, these ladies are out, and they are ready to fucking roll. Very interestingly... Feng, who can see these spirits all the time in her memory, has no idea. They're just ghosting around behind her. Mm -hmm. They're crawling up behind her. They're walking behind her down the hall. Twitchy fingering all over the place. Yeah, very, very creepy scenes. I really enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah, these ghosts are fucking badass. Yeah. Like, they're my favorite part of this movie. I like the hopping vampire quite a bit, too, but, like, these guys are, like, where it's at. I like the Feng being totally unaware, too. Yeah, it's a great scene, and... Uh, very well accomplished there's this great like there's so many parts of this movie where i would think oh i want a picture of that i want to put that on my wall Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially with the two twins in the hallway standing next to each other holding each other's hands while their tendrils go all fucking crazy you could frame that shot i like the just the scene of that apartment that they show over and over in the the state of disarray the table being toppled over the one twin hanging the other twin collapsing the floor and the dead teacher too that's a really pretty scene mm-hmm. depending on what you call pretty yeah yeah there's some scenes at the end that are really pretty too oh yeah it even opens up with some beautiful scenes um some of the fights near the end that are taking place in clay there's some wonderful shots we're about to get of the vampire itself in full hopping glory but they filmed it underwater which is fucking brilliant if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings series and the Nazgul specifically because mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the Nazgul. Yeah, Nazgul are awesome. Man. The way they're filmed in that film with that a slower shutter speed, 
and just that those heavy uh, capes that they have, so everything moves very, very slowly. Because I think they were wearing oil skin is what the they were actually wearing, so it does move very slowly and heavily in the wind when they're galloping and things. Very interesting film techniques used on them to make them look with that fucking dark majesty that they have. They accomplish it here with this vampire by filming them doing a thing underwater in the full regalia. Mm-hmm. very creepy scenes mm-hmm. and again it's like how you take something that could be a silly concept to some people and you film it in such a way where it's not silly not at all yeah no. it's intimidating this thing seems powerful seems dangerous and it's up to chin chin and the cook how are they going to do it how are they going to stop this thing kung fu fighting kung fu fighting and by the way and i didn't even realize this happened because i idiot uh I stupidly asked you, where are the twins? Where are the twins? Because I was I was kind of like, where are my homegirls at? You want at? them to come fight. I want yeah. them to come fight too. Yeah. Well, they're there. They're fighting. They're in the vampire, man. That's, that's right. So, like in Robo Vampire where you got heroin in the vampires. In this one, you got twin fucking crazy ghost girls inside the vampire. Yeah. By the way, for those of you who don't know, yes, in Robo Vampire, the vampires are used essentially as drug mules. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, my God. I am such a 17-year-old boy. <laughs> you got to go watch Robo Vampire. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> I have my Saturday night planned. But yes, the spirits are contained within it. So, in a lot of ways, what Gao wanted, his original intention, has come to pass. He just didn't live to see it. And he didn't have... He didn't live to fucking stop it or control it. He doesn't have to deal with the consequences, which is... This vampire and these girls are going to fuck this entire building up if someone doesn't take care of them. Holy shit. Thank God they have a vampire hunter's son mm-hmm. in the building. It's like having a doctor on an airplane when somebody has a heart attack. Pretty rare occasion. And I'm sure lots of people just die. And actually, when people do die on planes, they just prop them up in a seat. Um, but, like, it's probably rare that you can get your life saved in that particular circumstance and i think it'd be pretty rare to be in this particular circumstance and happen to have a vampire hunter's son just kicking around with all of his sigils and wheels and shit so he brings the big brass wheel to the fight scene Mm -hmm, absolutely as these vampires are fighting he basically puts chin needs an upper he needs an edge you know what i'm saying he needs something something that he could possibly do to to give him something and well, there's a way to empower him a little bit so he can go head to head with this thing that would normally kill him. But there's a consequence to it. The magic to keep Chin alive, because by the way, Chin has been fucking is like bleeding out of his stomach at this point <laughs> from having this encounter with this thing. Man, when this hopping vampire is cruising around the building, hopping around the building, hopping around the, the building, Fang tries to take him out. She's got a board with a nail in it. A bunch of nails. A bunch of She's nails. She's hardcore, in it. man. Yeah, but that doesn't really do fucking shit to that thing. And by the way, this vampire tosses her through a wall. So so many times when this happens in a movie, I'm thinking to myself, Yeah, right. Or what like, was that wall made of anyway? Yeah, like like if it was a if it if we were talking drywall, I could get tossed through a drywall wall and be fine. It just fucking. Break. I couldn't toss you through a drywall wall. No, maybe. But if there are two of you, yeah, like Dark West and West. Yeah. If Dark West tossed West through a drywall wall, yeah. If even Dark West tossed you against one of these walls, you'd bounce because it's plaster. 
Yeah, yeah, right. And and but this is by the way, I love this this uh narrative you've created where I have to fight my evil self. Well, it's better than horror experiments. We'll just use Wes and Dark Wes. Because <laughs> I can't inflict any pain on you, no matter how much I've imagined I could. <laughs> you know what? Uh, you can get yourself a big old pair of slip mouth woman's scissors and fuck me up with it, probably. Probably. I could just jump up at your throat. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like jump on my back and like just stab me a bunch of the times in my weak point. Yeah, like most of the horror experiments and our photos involved a stool or a small step stool. Because I am a munchkin. You're very small and I hadn't really noticed until we had to get a picture taken next to each other. So I could not throw you through a wall. Maybe not, but... This is a fucking tile wall. This is a tile wall. It looks like, um, it, it, it honestly seems like, uh, not concrete, but what's that fucking stone that's like more porous? What is, is that, maybe this is concrete. Well, they do make like a concrete board. It's usually used behind fire, like it's a fire retardant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they go through this fucking shit and she's not just fucking instantly dead. I would buy that this supernatural vampire can get tossed through a wall like this, have the strength to throw someone like her through a wall, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't seem to be nearly... She's... Okay, she doesn't seem not hurt, but, like, nothing seems to be broken. Yeah, yeah. And she's just this little tiny fang that's been, like, scrounging food, so... Yeah. Yeah. She reminds me a lot of Bjork from Dance in the Dark. (laughs) I really highly recommend that, too. It's a double bill, Dance in the Dark and Robo Vampire. One shorter than the other, so you got that going for you. Yeah. So, when when Chin first tries to encounter this motherfucker, he gets fucked up royally. Mm-hmm. Thank God the cook can help because he's going to need all the help he can get. But he's only going to be able to have that help for a very short time. The length that it takes someone to smoke one cigarette. Let me tell you something. This is fucking hilarious to me. Now, recently someone has uh, brought to my attention the weird way that my father used to dictate time. So my dad wasn't really the type of guy that when we would drive to the cottage, he didn't really know how long it took when he was driving direct, when he wrote down directions for me the very first time I went up to the cottage by myself. And so the map he made, (laughs) the map he made was all based off of landmarks and how long it would take you to smoke a cigarette between one point and another. So, for those of you who ever want to know, after the bean sign, you hang a right, and then it's about one cigarette from there to my cottage. That's weird to me because I, when I was younger, someone had said something about um, seven minutes. It takes seven minutes to smoke a cigarette, so that's how long this is, and this is why you can have two cigarettes in a 15-minute break at, at a workplace. And that sort of stuck with me from being a kid into adulthood, but I've definitely proved that wrong. And I know some people that that their goal is to have a one minute cigarette, right? So like that throws that whole theory out the window, unless you're not smoking it. That's true. That's the only way that you can get like a constant rate of burn. And it's still going to vary from brand to brand and king size to regular and whatever, like a Virginia Slim or God knows a more, a more could go out. For crying out loud. <laughs> That's how my father tried to like indicate how long the how far the cottage was, at least. Me at and the... Kelly just engage things in punk rock songs like normal people. But what if you're dealing with a punk rock song that's like three minutes long? The rarities. 
no, that's fine. That's about normal. Like, but you're going to vary between like a minute to three, three and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah. But then you get some of those no effects songs go on. That's true. Yeah. Average Misfit song is like a minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> See, then, you, well, sometimes you could be like, well, it's, it's going to be three punk rock songs or five Misfit songs. Yeah, that's about right. You know, that's where me and Kelly can agree on these. <laughs> so two metal songs, depending. <laughs> <laughs> One Metallica song. Yeah. Well, it depends if they're covering the Misfits. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We just broke the whole system. But I know. It made sense for us. Yeah. I've definitely seen Metallica cover the Misfits. It's fucking cool. Anyways, that being said, it is time to fucking get down. Chin doesn't seem to give a shit about this one cigarette lifespan thing that he's got going on with this seal to keep his life together and to pump him up so he can fight this fucking vampire. Because he is, he shouldn't be alive anyways. Yeah, basically. Gives him some purpose. <laughs> so now when he's pumped up and fucking the cook makes that cool ass symbol in blood and then all the power to the build, like along the floor. It's yeah, there's so- another um, film. I can't remember what it is. And I don't think that it's um, the golden flower. I don't remember what it is where somebody has to do. It's a Japanese film and they do uh, katakana with a moth and ink and it's a brilliant scene this rivals that too but it's grody old fucking blood and a and a grody old mop like the grossest old mop you ever did see and he writes this charm sigil all the way down the hallway and they even give us an aerial shot thank god that's one thing that juno mac does very very well in this film he's not afraid to put the camera in very interesting places that's true i mean the the film uh, the cinematography it is beautiful and it really is a pretty movie this fight between chin and the hopper vampire the zhang shi probably the prettiest scene of all mm-hmm. and if you're like me and i know you're not if you find that rugby in the mud is probably the most photogenic thing on the entire planet then you're gonna love this scene i've never thought about it but that's true and i think it has a lot to do with the cook's uh, wheel that he's manipulating. I think it's changing a lot of things, water to, to um, or sorry, to the clay that's earth and, and stuff like that. Like, and by the way, the cook the whole time is twisting this fucking wheel uh, with, as blood's pouring down into it. And I don't know if it's like to seal the area off or. What. To charge up these different elements in the space that he's able to control, but he can't let go of this mm-hmm. no matter fucking what. And it's already been put in motion. So not only can he not let go of it, mm. it's going to continue through its motions, mm-hmm. whether he wants it stopped or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Basically twisting this fucking dude's arm completely off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I love that sort of shit. As the cigarette burns down, this fight's fucking going on. And eventually what ends up happening is the cook's fucking arm rips completely off. And then in a moment of desperation, tosses his wooden sword towards Chin while he's struggling with the hopper. And then as the sun is coming up, fucking pulls uh, the cook, jumps out the fucking window and jumps all the way down to like the, the center of the building, right in between the building is just like this open space, a common area, I suppose, that the light can get to. And everybody falls. And doesn't die when they hit the fucking ground. All the vampires, like, on fire while this shit's happening. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Helpful that that's where the elements ended up when he had his arm ripped off, but uh, 
the sunlight definitely added to that. I had no sense of time through this film either. Day, night. There was only that one scene where they show from outside how big the building is that you had any idea it was daytime mm-hmm. whatsoever. You totally... That's where I realized that I had totally lost track of time. And it seemed to be all happening in the same fucking day. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if anyone sleeps. Mm-mm. It's a very, very strange the way it fucks with time, this movie. But yeah, that all kind of makes sense in a little bit. Um, they all land and the vampire is turning to ash. Mm-hmm. And his wife, probably partially regretting a lot of this. Mm-hmm. My shows up. Maybe not only to like apologize and make everything sort of right, but is it to be able to spend one last moment with her husband? Probably. She can not deny in the moment where she allowed Pack to be brutally killed by this thing. It is hard, and she even breaks down crying in that moment. It is hard to play games with yourself and say that we'll be together just like it was, and you'll be back, you won't have died and left me. We can resume our normal life together, which is what I want. It's hard to play games that that is even possible anymore while this thing is brutally killing a child (laughs) and then goes on a rampage and many people in the building have been injured. Some are dying. And so she, and as she looks at this crumbling ash thing, she slits her own throat and falls on top of it. When she falls upon the ash pile, it basically all dissipates and she's dead. She, she disappears and disintegrates into ash as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess our heroes have made it. But Chin's life is still forfeit because one that cigarette has run out. And so we're back to where the very start of the film happened. They kind of fuck with time a little bit. And we're back to that first scene. He's covered in clay. He's dying and looking up to the sky. We have a nice zoom in on his eyeball. Mm-hmm. Quite a pretty little scene, too. <clears throat> and then we're out. Not of the movie, but of this, what would you call it? This world? This uh, happenstance? This dreamscape? This imagining? This particular <sighs> fucking dimension? Delusion. Partially. What we are... Synapses firing out of control and overlapping and juxtaposing images and thoughts and memories. We return to the building as Chin first walked up to it. And he walks to the building. He sees the various people that he has met throughout the film already. No one seems that colorful. No one really talks to him too, too much. You don't meet them, really. There's a a portion where he walks past Mai's door and she just looks and acknowledges that there's a man there. They don't know each other. And she looks to the picture of her dead husband mm-hmm. and just gives him a nice, sweet smile, you know, like a morning. Mm-hmm. Accepting, would. A- yeah. accepting the fact that, oh, it's dead. And we see that he looked into the apartment and saw that briefly. He sees Mr. Yin asleep. He sees the cook. Um, just briefly. Just briefly. Then he sees Pak and Fang waiting for the elevator. They don't really seem to acknowledge him. Well, she looks at him briefly. He is then hanging in his apartment. 
the same way that he was. Dead as anything. And this time the cook does come in, but he's already hanging. And there's no mysticism. There's no magic. There's no flying in like a gazelle. The cook's not even wearing his bathrobe. He's dressed normally. He's not a vampire hunter's son that has come swooped in to save the day. He's this guy that came in and found a body hanging and starts yelling for help and trying to lift it up just in case there's any breath left in it, which there's not. Chin is dead. Chin is dead. And we are now at the coroner's office where there's Gal eating an apple and pulling his body out. And just as the last light, I suppose, fades out of Chin's mind, his spirit fully leaves the body. Uh, We see the blurred image of a young man come in and asks about his father. Because he's there to identify the body. Yeah. And he's an older boy, so it lends to my idea when he was first getting that phone message and listening to it over and over from his son about when are you going to come home, Daddy, that it had been quite some time ago. He had been fully estranged from his ex-wife and, and son, and this is who they contact to identify the body. So none of this actually happened. No, what has likely occurred is that, th- as we mentioned at the beginning of the movie, you guys might have forgotten This was a former actor of the Mr. Vampire series. This is what he was known for and in fiction. And when he died and those synapses were firing and he had briefly looked at all the last people that he would ever see who were just living in this building, his brain, much like a dream where we just film these short movies in our brains that are only a couple of minutes long, as long as they seem to last. Um, as he was dying, he formed this entire story where his immediate real life scenario was interspliced with the fantasy of the films that he had spent his life making. Which is kind of a beautiful sentiment. Mm-hmm. And for a filmmaker, Juno Mag, who has got a kind of storied and quite interesting past. If you're, interested look up juno j-u-n-o-m-a-k um not just to hear more about this film because it is like interesting and you can read the synopsis for yourself if we've lost you because we might have um he used to be i guess what would be the chinese equivalent of a japanese idol Mm -hmm. he was a singing sensation but then became a public scandal because he it showed that his fans, his groupies, had all been paid mm-hmm. by the hour to cheer. And then people started bringing him off the stage because of this. And it's usually something that I always thought was just a myth, like a funny joke that was used in anime, that, oh, all their groupies are probably paid anyway. But this is where, like, Snopes could probably <laughs> prove this is right. Um, yeah, he was charged. There was a lot of different scandals that were suddenly hush 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 too through his uh entertainment career his father bought 100,000 copies of his first cd Mm -hmm. his 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 father was a a a quite famous singer himself and then he used his father's connections to get a a singing career himself not exactly the 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 most talented person it happens and trying to create a, a mythology of fame around you so other people catch on people discovered it got blown wide open and he was disgraced as a Mm -hmm. singer and then uh, years later he's now making a movie and i don't know if he's truly responsible like maybe his past would put shaft in how much he's responsible for this film but 
as it stands, this is a very good film. And I think it's uh, maybe if he wasn't meant to be a singer, it seems like he'll be just fine as a filmmaker. I don't know if he's made anything since. I'm going to look because I'm very curious because this is a really beautiful film. Quite masterfully handled. It's got a very convoluted storyline, and he seems to be, you know, on par with any of the larger Hollywood uh, filmmakers, especially these epic, very colorful fight mm-hmm. action drama films. It's got a high production value as mm-hmm. well. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just growing up in that industry because he did grow up in the television and music industry. Mm-hmm. Very, very tightly. Mm-hmm. So he's probably got lots of money. I mean, his dad bought 100,000 copies of a CD. So it's <laughs> fine as far as income, I'm sure. <laughs> Unless he had a lot of court fees. But it doesn't seem that a lot of this went to court. Because mm-hmm. it all just got paid off, stopped, hush, hush, withdrawn. Very strange. Very interesting. So it's an interesting read. Yeah, yeah. Interesting guy. Made an interesting film. And... It's definitely worth checking out, I think. If you have an an interest in Asian cinema, if you have an interest in vampires, if you have an interest in um, martial arts, it's got it all. We're going to be covering another interesting vampire film made by a very interesting fella. If you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro, we're going to be covering Kronos next. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it because it's, again, not a very typical vampire film. And I think this is all stemming from me wanting to do Nadja, but having it not be the right sort of film for our show. So we have to do three different vampire films to make up for that, <laughs> basically. There's going to be some fun, interesting podcast you coming up too. And as vague as I want to be, I know that you could guess that I'm going to be on my torture cast. <laughs> but... Luckily, I can spill the beans now because by the time that happens, this will probably be airing concurrently or right right around there. So it's not like I'm ruining any big surprise here. I was going to be ultra vague because I'm also going to be on something else. Mm -hmm. Something else sneakier and more interesting, maybe less interesting, depending. Because the film that we're going to be covering for Vine Torture Cast is fucking sick. Well, I feel like that's right up your alley. Oh, it's right up my alley. And the other one is really up your alley, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll look forward to listening to that. Also, one thing that you guys probably are aware of, if you pay attention to what number, is that we have 100 episodes almost in the can. That means our 100th episode is coming out real, real soon. We have something really special for you guys planned. It's going to be a chunky sit. It's going to be good, though. It's not even Halloween. It's going to be a chunky sit. I can't wait for your birthday to see what you choose for that because that's going to be a a, a chunky sit too. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so anyway. Mm -hmm. I do hope so. Yeah, but if you guys are ever interested in requesting films or questions for us or anything that you want to address to us whatsoever, feel free to tweet me at Wes Deadairnipe or Lydia at Typical Lydia. Or leave a note on spiderpictures.net. You can leave a note on the SoundCloud. You pretty much get a hold of us wherever you hang out online. That's true. You know, if anyone has listened to the last Bind Torture cast, they would have heard a whole bunch of Asian cinema. Me and Chris realized that we had watched a whole bunch of Asian horror while he was here because he came to Canada and visited for four days. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, with the exception of one film, everything we watched 
was an Asian horror film. Because really? I showed him Abnormal Beauty. We mm-hmm. had watched Sadako versus Kayako. Mm-hmm. Much, film. much thanks to Shudder. It is up now, but we, you and I, had been able to see a screener of that. Yeah, we got to watch the screener. And uh, is there... And you guys, you got to interview the two adorable actresses. The stars. The stars. Yeah. Both Sadako and Kayako herself. Well, fun fact, I got to sit there very quietly while Lydia told me not to make any noise. Hey, man, it was awesome. And actually listening back when I was transcribing the interview, um, you were you did something and I was like, Shh, and then I was like, sorry, and I felt so bad for shushing you. But yeah, um, it was it was a very interesting opportunity. So you can go to OttawaHorror.com and read that interview. If you haven't already checked out Sadako versus Kayako, if you're a Shutter subscriber, they do have, um, I think it's a month trial when you sign up. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth it to check it out for that. And you might just become sold because it's way less expensive than Netflix and all that stuff. Mm. So I think it's interestingly worth it because that film is... I don't like monster mashups necessarily. I didn't like Freddy vs. Jason. I don't really like the idea of what I think is making it almost comedic because it all, it's like Laurel and Hardy. That's what comes through through my head. It's not though. It's a very good film and Chris put it best as it's a ring film with a little bit of grudge going on in it. Mm-hmm. The way that they've made those two worlds work though, I think is pretty interesting. I liked it. I think it's one of the the best monster mashups I've ever seen. And as you guys could probably guess, I've seen them all. (laughs) So it's really, really worth your time. As a diehard fan of both of these franchises, but not an undiscerning fan, I don't like all those movies. There's definitely additions in both franchises that I feel are quite weak entries. Um, I think that this is quite strong. I think this is the strongest that both The Ring and and the grudge have had to offer in a very long time. We were toying with the idea of doing a small review. We just didn't find the time and couldn't squeeze it in. And they had been, if anyone's been following horror news, pushing the release date back mm-hmm. here and there for unknown reasons for Sadako versus Kayako. So now it has just basically come out uh, at the end of last month. So we we didn't have to make the time because we didn't know when it was going to be released. Yeah, it just didn't happen. So consider this our... Sadako versus Kaiko uh, review. And you can go and listen to the Vine Torture Castle, listen to that little tiny minute or two that Chris talks about it too. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to be getting into some vampire stuff because I am also, yes, a big fan of vampires. And it's not that I'm done with Asian horror, but I've been really steeped in it aside from for our show just the last week. We watched another one called Retribution. You can hear Chris talk about it all, but yeah. And I got to see Chris and Wes talk video games for a half hour, which was The fucking highlight of my life. (laughs) My two favorite guys talking video games. I could just sit back and eat steak. It's great. (laughs) It was a good time. Chris is a good dude. On that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you have been listening to Dead Air.